The Children Trap The Biblical Blueprint for Education This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book. Chapter 3 Parents in the Driver's Seat Quote Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. End quote. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. Quote, and you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. End quote. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. In this chapter, I discuss the second principle of formal education, the parents' responsibility for the education of their children. We must begin our discussion with a consideration of the biblical covenant. The covenants of the Bible all have the same five points. One, a sovereign creator God who runs everything. Two, a hierarchy of authority with God at the top. Three, a system of law, ethical rules for dominion. Four, a judicial system for making evaluations. Five, a program for inheritance. In the Bible, each of the covenantal institutions will be governed by this five-point structure. The family is one of these institutions. God, in his wisdom and love, has established three covenantal oath-bound institutions, the family, the church, and the state, or civil government. They are separate institutions. Any attempt by the authorities in one of these institutions to take control over the other, except in specific biblical instances of legal failure on the part of the leaders of the other one, is an infringement on the God-ordained sovereignty of the threatened institution. It is a violation of liberty. Family Responsibility In the beginning, God brought Eve to Adam. They became one flesh. They established the first family. Any nation that weakens the family or tries to destroy the family is doomed. As goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the family, so goes the nation. Education is the prerogative of the family, not the state. The parents are to teach God's words diligently unto their children. The state has no children. The father is the head of the family. Specifically, the father is commanded by God to bring up his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture refers to instruction. Notice that both principles from the Old Testament are repeated by Paul in Ephesians. It is the parents who have the responsibility to educate their children. That education is to be, quote, of the Lord, end quote. Parents have responsibility for the complete care of their children. This should begin before birth. Mothers should eat properly and should not use any harmful substances that would injure their babies. The biblical approach is just the opposite of the abortion mentality that would destroy the unborn child. The father assists a mother in preparing for the baby's birth. He is the breadwinner. He works at his calling to provide for his family. He gives her stability and support in every sense. 
The father and mother together provide love for their children from the beginning of life. This love and caring never ends. Thus, the welfare of children is a family matter. The child is provided shelter, food, clothing, medical care, religious training and education. A blind spot. Most Christians oppose the idea that the civil government should provide housing, food, clothing, etc. We say we do not believe in the, quote, welfare state, unquote. We are opposed to socialism. We do not want a communistic system as they have in the Soviet Union. While most Christians strongly oppose the idea that civil governments should provide cradle-to-grave security, Many of them are blind on the matter of education. Somehow, we don't even question the idea of a public school system. We don't think of ourselves as being, quote, on welfare, unquote, when we send our kids down to the neighbourhood school. We need to think about this. Socialised education is no different in principle from socialised medicine or socialised anything else. When we send the children to the government school, we are accepting tax-financed welfare. It is not necessarily wrong to accept a gift. That is to say, there is a place for charity in the biblical scheme of things. Our churches carry on a diaconal ministry. As individuals, we may, and should, help a friend or neighbour in need. We have all kinds of voluntary associations to assist the needy. We give, and we receive. This is not the same situation as the public school. The public school system is not based on charity. It is not based on the principle of voluntarism. The public schools are funded with taxes. When we enrol our children in a public school, we are stealing from our neighbours. Yes, that is what I said, and that is what I meant. Bastia, the famous French writer of the 19th century, called it, quote, legal plunder, unquote. The fact that plunder is legal does not make it moral. The Christian then should take care of the education of his own children. He should not use force against his neighbour to rob his neighbour of his wealth. Yet this is exactly what takes place with a public school system. The government is engaged in the redistribution of wealth. Karl Marx advocated public schools in the Communist Manifesto, 1848. His goal was to destroy Christianity by destroying the family. To destroy the family, he knew it would be necessary to destroy private property. Thus, the tax system was to be used to take property away from one person and give it to another. The Bible teaches that taxes are to be paid for legitimate functions of government. Taxes are not to be paid to the government for the purpose of giving the property of one person to another person. The responsibility to educate children belongs to the parents. They are to carry out this task from the time the child is born. The parents are to teach God's words diligently to their children. They are to teach while sitting, walking, when lying down and when getting up. The idea is that education takes place all the time and in every place. The notion that education can only take place in some formal setting such as a school classroom is not a biblical idea. How children learn. There is a hierarchy in education. God is on top. Point one, the sovereignty of God. 
God delegates the responsibility for education to parents. Point two, hierarchy. Parents must determine what the children will be taught. Point three, law. And they will judge whether the child is advancing. Point four, judgment. They do this in order to transfer a heritage and inheritance to their children. Point five, inheritance. The family must honour this five-point structure of the covenant in the field of education. Children learn by example. I have noticed that subtle mannerisms of parents are seen in their children. I see them in my own children. When I call on the phone to a friend, I am often unable to tell whether I am talking to the father or his son, the mother or her daughter. Children learn a great deal before they ever go to school. When the child is born, he cannot speak a word. The mother and father patiently teach the child their native language, and most of this teaching is by example. The child picks up the parent's language in the way he picks up anything else left within his reach. Soon, even a small child is able to speak fluently. Recently, I took Dorothy, one of my granddaughters, to McDonald's. On the way, she began to rattle off the books of the Old Testament. She is barely four years old. I couldn't name the books of the Old Testament after four years of college and four years of seminary. It wasn't because I was stupid. It was because God, in his grace, enables young minds to memorize astounding quantities of information. But this skill diminishes over time. Anyway, I think so. I read about it somewhere. I forget just where. Think of how they can sing advertising jingles that they hear on television the same way older folks can remember radio jingles for products long gone, even if they can't memorise the books of the Bible very easily. Dorothy said her daddy had been teaching her the books of the Bible on the way to school. Little children can learn far more than we realise, and they seem to be able to do it with minimum effort. The key is parental involvement. But, understand, A child does not intuitively learn the names and order of the books of the Bible. Parents have to help. Memorization of important material is a discipline. It is part of a structured program of teaching. The child does not learn this way on his own. He does not learn it on a field trip or in some sort of improvised, quote, social action, unquote, project for four-year-olds. His parents work with him and discipline him to learn the material. Homeschooling. One of the most significant movements in education today is the homeschool. It is almost entirely confined to the Christian community. It is part of two trends, the general trend towards decentralization and the trend of Christians towards setting up alternatives to humanist institutions. Both trends are creating trouble for humanist educators. John Nesbitt, in his book Megatrends, points out that Decentralization is taking place in many areas of our lives. In education, he cites homeschooling as an example. No doubt there is a reaction against centralizing education. We have seen the movement away from locally controlled small schools to the large consolidated school districts. A cabinet-level Department of Education has been established at the federal level. The homeschool can be seen as a wholesome movement in the other direction. A far more important reason for the homeschool movement is the desire on the part of parents to have a direct hand in the education of their offspring. 
There are tens of thousands of children being taught at home in America today. We don't know how many there are in these home schools. This is a good thing. Neither do the humanist planners. In some cases, the parents teach their own children. In other cases, two or more families cooperate in the task. What are we to think of home schools? I applaud them. There are some Christian schools that oppose homeschooling. Maybe they don't want the competition. I don't know. I think Christians should encourage homeschools in every way. They should work with homeschoolers instead of against them. The Christian Liberty Academy in Illinois has a very large homeschool program. The number of children in the homeschools is far greater than those enrolled in the regular academy. The Christian Liberty Academy also has the largest Christian school physical facility in the country. They bought it from the public schools in 1985 for $1.5 million with the money they had made from selling homeschool materials. There is no reason the two should not work together to accomplish the goal of Christian education. The Christian school which I operate had its roots in a homeschool some 27 years ago. I was teaching in a private school. My wife was at home with several small children. She wanted to teach the oldest two at home. One was three, the other was four. My wife invited several families in the neighbourhood to send their children over for two and one half hours each day to be instructed. One of the mothers watched our two-year-old at her house. The arrangement worked out to everyone's advantage. After leaving the private school where I taught, I started a small school in the basement of a house. We had six students initially. This expanded to ten students at the end of the semester. At fall, I opened Fairfax Christian School with 32 students, ranging from kindergarten through the eighth grade. My wife and I taught them all, including two of our children. We held classes in our home. We had two classrooms downstairs. We lived upstairs, over the shop. It was a neat arrangement. The strength of the homeschool movement is the direct control exercised by parents. The course of study can be tailored to the specific needs of the child. The program is flexible. A great deal of learning can and does go on in this type of teaching situation. One of the best ways to learn is by teaching, and I am sure the parents learn a great deal right along with the children. I need to stress at this point that there are rival views regarding homeschools. In fact, some of these groups fight more over when a child should start his formal education than what he should be taught. I believe in the traditional Protestant view that children should be catechized at a very early age and taught to read very early, at age four or five. They should be reading the Bible at age six. They can do it and they should do it. Deliberately to keep the Bible a closed book for young children when they can be taught to read, it is simply sinful. Yet there is actually a small and highly vocal movement of Christian homeschoolers who follow a system based on the idea that children not be formally taught to read and compute until age 9 or 10, unless they ask to be taught these skills. I totally reject the idea, an idea that has its roots in humanism, the Montessori and or Mormon movement, that parents should postpone giving their children formal, structured, highly disciplined instruction until the children are 9 or 10 years old, or even older. Children should learn very early that time is an irreplaceable resource, that it is limited, and, to please God, 
we have to get to work early and hard. They should learn to appreciate the power and results of structured, disciplined work. They should learn this by example too. We parents need to be structured and disciplined in our habits. Jesus instructed the priests in the temple when he was a child of twelve. Luke chapter 2 verses 41 to 47. He is the biblical model, not some baptised version of humanism's free-form education for the naturally innocent child model. The division of labour. Sometimes, when I advocate that parents should be responsible for the education of their children, I have been told that this is not practical. Many persons think that the only way parents can be responsible is for every family to teach the children at home. That is not the case. Parents are responsible to feed their children, but it does not follow that all parents must be farmers. Parents are to provide shelter, but they don't have to build the family house in order to fulfil their responsibility. Every parent will be involved to some extent in feeding the children. They will shop for the groceries, cook meals, etc. They do not have to grow the food personally. Parents have a part in providing shelter, choosing a house, calling a plumber or electrician when needed and performing a host of other chores around the house are part of providing shelter. The point is that parental responsibility does not mean that parents personally do everything. Quote, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. End quote. Genesis chapter 4 verse 2. An important economic principle is seen in the first family that lived on earth. Cain and Abel had different occupations. This is the principle of the division of labour. Further on in this chapter of Genesis, we read about those who kept cattle, who handled harps and organs, and who worked with brass and iron. In the New Testament, Paul speaks in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 of the differing gifts that God gives to each of us. Each person on earth is a unique creation by God. No two persons have the same set of fingerprints. We are different from every other person who ever lived on the earth. Biochemist Roger Williams wrote a book entitled You Are Extraordinary. In it, he shows that each person is biologically unique. This applies not only to fingerprints, but to other parts of our bodies. God created us in his own image and commanded us to have dominion over the earth. Man is able to think, to invent, to innovate. A robin today builds her nest the same way she did 20 years ago, or 200 years ago for that matter. Man thinks about his house and develops better ways to build. Some people are skilled in music. Some are better suited to be doctors, plumbers, engineers or whatever. Some are given the gift of teaching. That is their calling from God. It is this principle of division of labour that improves living standards for everyone. Each person pursues his own calling from God and does that kind of work he is best suited to do. We labour to have dominion in our area. Then we trade with one another so that the surplus we produce can be used to obtain things that will improve our lives. This trading is normally done through a medium of exchange which we call money. For details about how this system works, see Gary North's book Honest Money in the Biblical Blueprint series. Division of labour occurs in a geographical sense also. Some parts of the earth are better suited than others for growing wheat, cotton, corn or bananas. 
crops are grown and goods are manufactured in those areas where they can be most effectively grown or produced. Then we trade with one another and everyone benefits. God wants us to do this freely and peaceably. Then the dominion mandate can be best carried out. We subdue the earth and see improvement in our culture. When governments set up barriers to trade, the result is lower standards of living and conflict among men. Goods and services become more costly. The division of labour applies in education. When governments place roadblocks in the way through compulsory attendance laws, taxation to redistribute wealth, zoning restrictions and other regulations, they raise the cost of education. They also harm the quality of education. There is no longer the freedom for parents to exchange the fruit of their labour with one another. Free enterprise is superior to socialism. This is true whether we are talking about growing a crop, assembling a car or educating a child. Homeschooling has its advantages. The parent takes direct control of his children's education. Homeschooling also has its limitations, especially as children get older. They need the benefits that come from a division of labour. I have taught children in school, ranging from age four through high school. I have taught most of the subjects. Although I have four years of college and five years of graduate school, I cannot teach every subject well. I would not be a good music teacher. I appreciate good music, but I cannot find the middle C on a piano. Would it be wrong for me to hire a tutor to teach my child music? I cannot imagine any Christian saying that this is immoral. What if I hire a tutor to teach several of my children music? Still not immoral? What if a neighbour asks if he can help share the costs of the tutor and send his children? The moment anyone says that this is valid, he has abandoned the principle of homeschooling. But to defend homeschooling as the only way, he must accuse the parents of doing something immoral. The Christian school is simply a way that tutors take advantage of the division of labour. They have numerous parents send their children to them for instruction. They take advantage of something that economists call economies of scale. Several parents hire one tutor. They send the children to a central location for efficiency's sake. This is how poorer people can take advantage of the tutorial principle. They pool their funds. Those who defend homeschools as the only Christian way to educate children are elitists. They are saying that only the children of parents who happen to be highly skilled teachers, are to be given the best education. This is the inescapable implication of the homeschools-only outlook. The fact that its defenders refuse to admit this indicates that they either haven't thought through what they are saying or else they are afraid to admit their elitism in public. Several years ago, my wife and I were invited to Dallas to speak to a group of parents who were teaching their children at home. I observed two things on this trip. One was that the parents wanted to teach their children at home, but they were already seeking expert advice on how to do it. I also observed that they were making arrangements among themselves for social affairs, extracurricular activities for their children. There is something else to consider. Word will get around the Christian community that one mother is especially skilled at teaching her own children. Other parents will eventually ask her to teach their children for a fee. The day she accepts this financial offer is the day homeschooling has ended for her 
and the parents who send their children to her. Homeschooling is therefore a temporary measure for the most gifted teachers. The division of labour principle works. Money talks. The most effective teachers eventually abandon homeschooling and become, quote, headmasters, unquote, of Christian day schools. The public schools have overdone the social end of things. They profess to teach, quote, the whole child, unquote. There is no reason to turn the whole child over to any school. If the child is attending a Christian school, the school should not get involved in trying to do everything for the child. The parents can provide recreational and social contacts for their children. The school should be seen as an extension of the home. It is not a replacement for the family. The school is not a separate institution any more than the factory, the grocery store or the department store. The school is a place where the parents can get specialised help in the education of the child. When should parents send the child to a Christian school? When the teaching staff of that school can impart more information and better work habits to the child for the same price, including the price of the parent's time. Parents eventually do this when the child reaches college age. Most parents do this a lot earlier. Christians must not make a cult of homeschooling. The cult mentality says, Mine is the only way. Only if the Bible teaches that one way is the only way should we accept it as such. Given that the overall approach is moral, no compulsory tax financing of education and no implicit theory of the innate innocence of the child, lots of ways are good. There is no single way that is best for every family. Summary God has delegated to parents the responsibility of educating their children. This education is to be comprehensive, moral, technical, economic, etc. Parents may not legitimately delegate this financial responsibility to others without their consent. They are allowed to hire specialised tutors to assist them. A school is simply an extension of the family. Teachers are tutors who have used the division of labour to reduce costs by tutoring many children at once. A school is simply a development of the tutorial system. It is the way that less wealthy people can take advantage of the division of labour and the tutorial system. We must be very wary of cult-like attitudes in Christian education. The view that our way is the only way. There are many sorts of children, many sorts of skills, and many sorts of ways to impart skills to children. But eventually, they all involve discipline and structure. In summary, 1. God assigns to parents the responsibility of instructing children. 2. The Bible is God's word. 3. Education is God-centred. 4. Education is the parent's responsibility. 5. Educations say they oppose the welfare state. 6. Yet Christians support the welfare state's education system. 7. When we send our children to a taxpayer finance school, we're accepting taxed finance welfare. 8. Karl Marx recommended public education as a means to weaken family responsibility. 9. Children learn by example. 10. They learn a lot by watching parents. 11. Homeschools take advantage of this aspect of children's learning process. 12. Children should be receiving disciplined, structured education by age 5. 13. 
Parents should make use of the division of labor principle when educating their children. 14. In most cases, this involves sending children to a Christian school. The debate is over just when. 15. The answer is when the parents no longer have the time and skills to compete with professional teachers in a local Christian school. 16. When a gifted homeschool teacher accepts her first pupil from outside her family, she is no longer involved in homeschooling. 17. We should avoid cult-like attitudes regarding education. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.